Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to Lucky Episode 13 of This Is Our Effing Podcast, a Red Sox show with your co hosts, Sean McAdam and Steve Lyons. Thanks for joining us. Hope you enjoyed our special guest, Heim Bloom. On last week's episode, we are in the process of lining up additional guests for the coming weeks. Got a lot of good feedback on the Heim Bloom guest spot on the podcast. And still, if you missed it, hear that on Spotify or Apple Music or wherever, <clears throat> excuse me, you get your podcasts. And uh, we would urge you to go back and listen if you missed it and tell your friends about it. Uh, but it is on with episode 13 today. And quite naturally, given the calendar, we are looking at the upcoming trade deadline, which arrives later this week on Friday afternoon. Steve, uh, welcome. And, uh, you know, one of the funny aspects of the trade deadline being on July 30th this year, and it's sort of a snapshot of Major League Baseball in 2021, is that ordinarily, of course, the trade deadline happens on July 31st. But because this year, that falls on a Saturday. Uh, the powers that be in Major League Baseball worried that, well, we're going to be pulling guys off the field with the 4 o'clock deadline, coming out of games. That's not a good look. People paid to go see the stars or people that are perhaps being traded, and you've got them coming out of the game in the fourth inning because the trade's been made. And there'll be all these afternoon games with a 4 o'clock start that will get interrupted, except – no one bothered to look, but I believe there is one afternoon game scheduled for Saturday. So all that moving around uh, didn't have to be. It wasn't necessary. And to me, it kind of typifies the way Major League Baseball has been run of late, where in theory, it sounded like a good idea. And in application, it means absolutely nothing. Yeah, I think we've seen a lot of that, haven't we? I mean, the way that the game continually changes. Uh, I've never seen so many changes to the way the game's played during a season rather than waiting until the off season. But, you know, who cares? I mean, with all the years of the trading deadline, it's never fell on a Saturday before. Are you kidding me? Of course it has. And the simple fact of some marquee player being taken out of the game in the fourth inning of an afternoon game um, really, I think, causes excitement and speculation. Oh, my gosh, he's out of the game. He must have got traded. Where's he going? What's happening here? You know, it creates excitement around that move yeah. rather than, oh, hey, hey, oh, this guy must have gotten traded. I, I don't know what they were worried about. Yeah, it, it just seems, as I said, another example of some people sort of thinking way too hard and creating a problem where none existed given how few afternoon, I mean, it should have dawned on somebody on Park Avenue uh, that there are very few one o'clock games scheduled in the afternoon in the middle of summer, but they thought they were being smart and ended up outsmarting themselves. But let's move on to more substantive issues. Um, as we tape this, the Red Sox <clears throat> have yet to uh, make a deal in uh in the run-up to the trade deadline, but they certainly have been linked to uh, a number of significant players. Um, I wrote last Friday that they had called the Miami Marlins and inquired about Starling Marte 
their outstanding center fielder who's in the final year of his deal. Uh, a little surprising, I was expecting to hear that if the Red Sox contacted the Marlins, it might be in pursuit of first baseman Jesus Aguilar, who is known to be available and would give the Red Sox, though a right-handed hitting bat, a power-hitting first baseman that could step in and really provide some pop at first base where they've gotten very little and, in fact, gotten very little contact out of Bobby Dahlbeck and others that have played that position. Turns out the Red Sox are actually inquiring about Starling Marte, which, when you think about their current outfield situation, um, is a bit surprising. But we'll, we'll get to that uh, a little bit later in the show. Um, one thing I wanted to, uh, to discuss with you, Steve, is – um, we've each come up with a few names that we think would make sense as Red Sox targets by Friday at four o'clock. Um, I'm going to have you start, Steve, and tell me who's number one on your hit list for the Red Sox to be going out. Well, even though I think that maybe their greatest need is 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 pitching, um, as far as maybe maybe a, a starter, maybe uh, some help in the in the uh, in the bullpen area. You know, I think the biggest splash you can make is a guy like Rizzo. You know, I mean, he's been rumored to have to be going somewhere and been rumored to maybe possibly come into the Red Sox. If you want to make a big splash, and that's not really been Haim Bloom's, you know, MO so far. And certainly they haven't made any moves right now. He does have the luxury of not making any moves at all. He's going to get sale back. Uh, you know, he's already got one of the best teams in baseball. You know, standing pat. You know, making a move just to make a move doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense either. But if you want to make a little bit of a splash, you know, the guys on my list were, were Rizzo and Santana, possibly from Kansas City, who's, who would help your first base situation uh, as well. And, and then if you're looking for pitching, maybe take a guy like John Gray out of Colorado and where his, his breaking ball will be better. Uh, and, and, and he's a solid arm. Okay, let's talk about some of the first base solution. Uh, first, Anthony Rizzo is a name that, you're right, has been linked to the Red Sox for the last couple of weeks. It makes a ton of sense on paper. Rizzo was originally, of course, a Red Sox draft pick and then traded away in the deal that brought the Red Sox Adrian Gonzalez. Um, now Rizzo is on an expiring deal. He'll be a free agent after this year. The Cubs are effectively out of the running in the National League. Uh, they've already begun to sell off some pieces. They dealt Andrew Chapin, Chapin to Oakland uh, the other evening uh, as Oakland looks to uh, kind of bulk up their bullpen. And the expectation is that some really big names would leave from the Cubs, including uh, Chris Bryant, Rizzo, who we've mentioned, uh, Craig Kimbrell, former Red Sox reliever, of course, part of the 2018 World Championship team. Uh, and then maybe even Javi Baez, uh, their star shortstop, who's also headed to free agency. Um, well, Rizzo, Baez may take one in the noggin between now and then with the big celebration he had against Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah, the Amir Garrett showdown. Uh, those, two, those two have an ugly history, and, uh, and it, it uh, reared its head again last night with Baez delivering a bases-loaded walk-off single to beat the Reds at Wrigley Field and all kinds of gesturing and yelling. And uh, I, I think you're right. I suspect we haven't seen the last of that one with the series continuing. Um, but let's talk about Rizzo. Um, 
you know, on paper, you would say, well, this is perfect because he's a left-handed bat. You already have Dahlbeck who hits lefties pretty well. Strange thing is, as I was looking at earlier, is that Rizzo's splits are kind of reversed this year. And he's hitting, I think, 331 against lefties uh, and not doing quite as well against right-handers. But I, I think the expectation is, is if the Red Sox made a move to get Anthony Rizzo, that he'd be fairly, you know, pretty much the everyday first baseman. He's not somebody that you're necessarily going to platoon. Yeah, you might give him a day off here and there if you if you thought that Dahlbeck matched up with a particular lefty. Uh, but Rizzo is, uh, you know, is a pretty good fielding first baseman, good defender at the position, and gives you really professional at-bats from that spot, which is something they've lacked. They've run all kinds of people through there. They have tried Dahlbeck, as we've talked about. They've called uh, tried Chavis, they've had Santana, they've had Gonzalez, they've had all kinds of uh, guys that they've experimented with. And right now, I think the Red Sox are 28th out of 30 teams in production at first base. It's not working with what they have. I guess the question I'd ask is, is it, you know, as you pointed out, this is the team with the best record in the American League, the second best team, uh, best record in baseball is shoring up one final position all that critical? How how important do you think it is to get better at first base for the Red Sox? Well, I think it can be for a couple of reasons. Um, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in change of scenery. I mean, Rizzo's a, a proven talent. There's no question about it. But you mentioned some of the numbers being down this year, especially against left-handed hitting or against left-handed pitching. Uh, this guy can play. We all know it. And you put a Red Sox uniform on him down the stretch run. I think you get a much better player than what you're seeing in, in Chicago right now. And then the second part of that is his contract. It's expiring. He can be a rental if you want. You, you, you're, you're not going to have to mortgage your future to get him. He's going to be cheaper because he's a, a guy whose deal is running out. And then, uh, you know, you can make a decision on whether you make, make an offer to him moving forward or you just let him go away after the potential of him helping you win another World Series. Yeah, and uh, you also brought up the prospect of uh, Carlos Santana, a guy who's uh, been around a number of different teams, including Cleveland, now with Kansas City. He is not on an expiring deal. He's got another year left, but as you noted, it's relatively affordable. I think it's somewhere around eight and a half, nine million or so due to him, maybe even 10, but not a, an outrageous number, and who knows? Um, maybe you can either get a prospect back to take that money off Kansas City's hands or get them to take some of the money back to lessen the amount of salary you're absorbing. Um, Santana's a real on-base guy, walks a lot. His uh, on-base percentage for his career is well north of 350. He's doing that again this year, only hitting uh, in the mid-240s or so, but some pop Um uh, from uh, first base and, and a switch hitter, uh, a guy that uh, allows you to match up against both lefties and righties. And I guess ordinarily I'd be saying, well, um, you know, do they really want to take on somebody that's got some salary commitments for 2022? And this is all about kind of going for it this October. But if you think about it, maybe getting Santana for this year and all of next makes some sense. Uh, if you started to question whether Bobby Dahlbeck is going to be an everyday contributor, then Santana holds the position down this year and all of next season. And perhaps by 2023, 
Tristan Casas is ready to step in and take over and be your first baseman in the future. So in that regard, the timetable makes some sense. You know, <laughs> I'm listening to you, Sean, and, 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 and we have done this, and it seems like Red Sox fans have done this as well. It seems like people are writing off Dahlbeck almost altogether. Um, I, I think he's in a situation where he's, you know, certainly in a, he's downtrodden right now and not playing his best baseball. But do you think that, that he's clearly not ready right now? We saw flashes of him being really, really good when he came up before in the big leagues. Um, and he's just been getting buried this season. Is, is he out of the loop there? Is there no way you can get a Santana for a year and a half and let him, you know, get better at the AAA level, you know, let Dahlbeck have more at-bats at a AAA level to make sure he's ready the next time you bring him up? Or are they going to bury him and, and just kind of forget about him? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and obviously that's not anything the Red Sox are addressing publicly at this point, uh, what, what they feel about uh, Dahlbeck and his future. But I think it's also clear that there's uh, the expectations in terms of what they can expect from him uh, at least this season, have been um, downgraded because uh, he's still striking out at nearly a 40% rate. Uh, he's not walking at all. I think he had, uh, last I checked, I, I, I think he had one walk in the month of July. And, you know, that that's not tenable going forward. It's one thing to have a lot of swing and miss. That's part of the game. In 2021, we see strikeout totals up. And I think, you know, they knew there was going to be an element of that coming into the season, particularly early in his major league career, that teams would make adjustments with him and he would have to adjust accordingly. But the fact that he's not being selective at all, that it, it, it's really kind of one of one of two things. It's either a, a fly ball or home run or a strikeout. There are no walks mixed in. It really makes him an offensive liability, and and uh, I'm I'm not saying that uh, you know you can forget about Bobby Dahlbeck being any kind of regular at the big league level. But again, I'm kind of focusing on the, the short term and immediate future, and it's difficult to see how you have much confidence in him contributing much over the final two months the way he's going. Yeah, I mean, there's one thing. Uh, to strike out a lot because that's the way the game has begun to be played, right? I mean, no one cares about strikeouts anymore, but you have to mix in a few walks. You have to mix in some production while you're striking out. And so there's a big difference between striking out a lot and literally swinging at everything. Yeah. And that's the discouraging thing that there's very little plate discipline. The swing decisions aren't good on Dahlbeck's part. And it does make you question, um, you know, is this guy, uh, you know, if there were a lot of swing and miss, but he was taking some walks mixed in, you'd feel a little bit better about his future. Uh, and again, too early to completely write him off. But um, our goal right now is to look at, uh, you know, what can help the Red Sox most heading into this postseason. Um, I've got a, um, a, you know, a potential guy that could maybe help out at first base. He would be not very expensive. He too was on the final year of a deal. And unlike Santana, he's making next to no money. I think his salary is about a million and a half dollars. He's not a first baseman by trade, but he has played there. And in fact, he did play there quite a bit as recently as 2019 for a team that did win it all, the Washington Nationals. And I'm talking about from the Arizona Diamondbacks as Dribble Cabrera, a switch hitter 
who has played almost everywhere in the infield, came up as a second baseman and shortstop, but has also played the corner spots, a veteran guy, 35 years old, uh, who can, you know, had a pretty good year last year offensively, can still contribute. Maybe not a guy that you play every day, but at least one more guy that you throw into the mix. And in particular, Steve, when you look at, they've got three utility guys right now on the injured list. Danny Santana, Marwin Gonzalez, and Christian Arroyo, all out with various groin and hamstring and quad poles. So for the time being, not only could Cabrera help out there, but he could help out uh, at, at second base, where right now your only options would seem to be Hernandez and Michael Chavis. Yeah, you know, I like it because of his versatility. And, and uh, you know, I think he'll bring a little bit to the clubhouse as well. Um, boy, I didn't realize he was 35 years old already. Time flies, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, you can remember him being a young player with Cleveland. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, 12 or 13 years ago. And yet here he is kind of uh, nearing the end, maybe. Uh, he's a guy that's bounced around as a spare part, but a valuable part. And he was a guy that, as I noted, I think got acquired by Washington at the deadline two years ago and, and helped them to win a World Series. He had a pretty good postseason that October. Yeah, there we go. The, the change of laundry uh, theory again. I, I'm, I'm a big believer in a guy that, you know, is, is kind of wallowing on a team that's not going anywhere, even though you show up every day and you keep your professionalism. And all of a sudden someone slides up to you and says, hey, we just traded you to the Red Sox. You know, hey, <laughs> I think that gets you a little bounce in your step, doesn't yeah, it? it? That catches your, your attention pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, on the starting pitching front, um, you had mentioned who, Steve? I forget. John Gray. Right. With the Colorado Rockies. That's a name that's been out there. Um, to me, uh, that's a guy that um, maybe better suits a team that is looking to fill out the rotation toward the back end. Uh, and, and that's not to say that, you know, Gray is some, uh, you know, number five replaceable, interchangeable guy. But I, I, I'm not sure how much better Gray as an option is compared to, you know, the likes of Martin Perez and, and Garrett Richards and Nick Pavetta, the back three that they have now. Um, to me, you know, we talked briefly before the show and we each had. Uh, another starting pitcher in mind and it's clearly the best starting pitcher on the market and it, it's the kind of guy that I wouldn't mind seeing the Red Sox you know throw in a pretty decent prospect to get because the the asking price is going to be higher on this guy because he is so good because he is clearly a difference maker we both thought about Max Scherzer uh, that's a guy that would really transform that rotation if the Red Sox were able to get can you imagine if Heim Bloom kind of just came out of the gate and made two deals and got a guy like Scherzer and Rizzo? I mean, it would be so uncharacteristic of who he's had to be in his past. And I mean, it would certainly, obviously you're going to have to give up some prospects in order to do that, but it would be a move that I believe uh, would endear him to Red Sox fans forever. It would, it would be a, a move that would, that would signal to everybody, not only in the organization, but to all Red Sox fans that he means business on a higher level than he ever had the opportunity to do before. And if he could pull the trigger on a guy like Scherzer, you know, 
certainly <laughs> certainly ups your odds for a World Series championship in 2021. Yep. No question. I mean, this is the only number one starter out on the market. We've got other guys like Kyle Gibson, who's having a career year in Texas. Uh, he has another year to go on his deal. You know, Gray would be a solid middle to back end guy. But to me, if, if you're going to upgrade the rotation, my idea is go all the way. Get a guy who could start either a game one or game two for you in a postseason series. Imagine the Red Sox going into October with a big three of Max Scherzer, a healthy Chris Sale, and Nathan Avaldi as their one, two, and three starters in the postseason. You know, certainly in the American League, I don't know that anybody could match up with that kind of firepower in the rotation. Yeah, there's not too many rotations that could that could match up with that. And especially even when you think of what's behind that isn't too shabby. I mean, uh, you know, Erod could certainly, you know, go out there and throw you a gem and has always also proved that he's kind of a big game pitcher when it when it really counts. And and some of the other guys in that rotation could keep it going. You know, I think you need somebody. And, you know, I was thinking that they wouldn't go that big. And you and I have worried all season long that the back half of that rotation We've worried about their health. So you may have to pick up somebody that can fill that spot in case there's some type of injury uh, in the second half of the season. But you pick up a guy like Scherzer, geez, you know, that's, it's a game changer. And it, uh, and it is, as I said, for a guy like Heim Bloom, it's a reputation changer. Yeah, it would. And, and obviously there's going to be a, a ton of interest in Scherzer, the, the Nationals uh, are, are talking to a number of different teams, and some of this is complicated by the fact that Scherzer, who, by the way, turns 37 years old today as we speak, um, but still an elite pitcher with a sub-3 ERA. Uh, he's got a whip that is uh, well under one. In fact, it's the lowest right now of his career. A guy who has been uh, a Cy Young Award winner three times, finished second or third, two other times, uh, and of course, helped pitch Washington do a World Series championship in 2019. Um, but he does have 10-5 rights. And uh, so he has some control over where he goes. His seven-year, $210 million deal that was signed with the Nationals is one of the few mega contracts in recent free agent history where you look at now as it nears the end and say, yeah, that one was worth it. That's one you would sign again in a heartbeat because of what you got out of this guy. And to see him for two or three months in a Red Sox uniform uh, would really be, uh, I think, a huge injection into that team. Maybe they don't need it the way they're going, um, but to, to bring a pitcher of that reputation and track record uh, a guy who has been to October a number of times, both Detroit and Washington, uh, is not going to get uh, intimidated by the big moment to come in and put him together with Sale and Evaldi in the big three uh, would, would really be a, a, a trans, you know, a transformative move for the Red Sox in their front office. And even aside from the pitching, think of the influence that he has on the other pitchers in that clubhouse mm -hmm. and his other teammates. You know, I mean, uh, he he is one of those guys that kind of transforms because you 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 look at a lot of pitchers and they can be 
uh, a leader among a pitching staff. There are very few pitchers that are actual team leaders that kind of put everybody on their back. Usually it's an everyday player. That's a guy like that. But I, I, I think he transcends that. He, he is a guy who can influence the, the everyday players on a ball club and have a, a tremendous impact within the entire clubhouse, not just on a pitching staff. All right, Steve, let's move ahead to um, a couple of other topics here. We've covered a lot of trade deadline stuff. Wanted to get to uh, a couple of guys, uh, one who is newly arrived, one who's waiting in the wings. Let's talk a little bit about Varen Duran. Um, as it often happens with a young player being promoted, the adrenaline, uh, the expectations, everything came together in that first at bat against Garrett Cole. The first pitch that Jaron Duran sees as a major leaguer he lines back up the box in Yankee Stadium off arguably, uh, you know, one of the two or three best starters in the American League, Garrett Cole. But also not surprisingly, since then, it's been um, a, a, a tougher situation for Duran. In 26 at-bats, he struck out 10 times. Uh, that's about a 35% K rate. He's only walked a couple of times. He's had a couple of 0-for-4s and 0-for-5s. And now that the Red Sox are about to embark on a stretch where they're going to face six straight lefties in a row. You wonder, you know, how Duran might be used. What are you seeing a couple of weeks into his career up here? You know, a little less than what I expected, but not, not overly surprising. Um, you know, he, he has battled in, in most of his at-bats. He's not up there just kind of flailing away. You mentioned the strikeouts. Um, you know, the 0 for 4 is certainly are going to come. Uh, and you know, I, I look to see if, if he feels, or if he looks overmatched a lot and I haven't seen him be overmatched a lot. I mean, there can be some times when that happens, but obviously when you're talking about facing six straight lefties, I don't think he's going to play all that much. I mean, it's going to be a difficult situation for Alex Gore to run a guy out there every day against left-handed pitching. When you know, he's already been struggling. You don't want to just keep heading him down in a spiral in the wrong direction that might yeah, you be don't want to you know a guy a guy's already having a tough time of it you certainly don't want to bury him putting in a position where it's going to be even harder for him to succeed against them. yeah it's it's the best time actually to get him you know one maybe two starts maximum in those six games and then get him four days off to to uh, work on some stuff, get him some extra batting practice, have him sit around and talk with the hitting coaches, you know, watch a few games, take a deep breath, and then come and get him again when they start throwing righties again. Meanwhile, Chris Sale, who we have referenced earlier in the show, uh, is now three official rehab stints into his rehab assignment. Uh, one in Florida in the Gulf Complex League against, I'm sure, some terrified 18-year-olds who all of a sudden see 97 and a palacious slider coming after them. Uh, it's been a little more equitable against double-A hitters uh, who have a little bit more professional experience, but Sale has dominated them through two. Next up is a stop at triple-A Worcester. That comes up this weekend. There will be at least one more after that. So that puts his return almost exactly where I thought it it was going to be and have been saying for a couple of months, probably around the second week of August, maybe August 10th or so, it's clear they are being very cautious and conservative 
on the timetable with Sale here, as tempting as it might be to plug him in because he's healthy. Uh, I think they're doing the right thing here, giving him time to build up arm strength and then bringing him in, uh, you know, maybe two weeks from now. Yeah, it's amazing uh, how much more cautious you can be when you're at the top of the division. Uh, you know, yeah, that buys you some time, right? Yeah, I mean, there's no panic. There's no sense of urgency that he has to get up here to help this team, you know, uh, it, because they're five games back and they got to make a run. Um, so that really helps. You know that Sale is pushing them every time to say, hey, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's, you know, I don't need any more of this. And so they're having to hold him back. There's no question about that. But that's the smart move to make just to make sure that be, because, you know, the adrenaline, the adrenaline level that he has pitching for Worcester his next time out is going to be quite a bit different than when he puts the Red Sox uniform on and faces whoever he faces when he comes back to pitch in the big leagues again. And, you know, quite simply, when you have that extra adrenaline is when you can then go out and re-injure yourself. You know, your strides a little bit longer. You're, you're throwing a little bit harder. You're, you're trying to break that slider off even nastier. So that, that you want to make sure you're really, really strong when you put yourself into that position. And I think that's probably uh, particularly so because the Red Sox have seen two other veteran pitchers coming back from Tommy John surgery this year encounter roadblocks and get re-injured. Uh, Noah Syndergaard had his comeback push back with some elbow soreness. That's the nightmare for every Tommy John uh, patient who is uh, coming back and trying to recover from that is that uh, you suffer some inflammation or soreness there. And then you had Luis Severino with a significant hamstring injury. That almost that set him back too. So uh, not that the Red Sox were intent on rushing sale back to begin with, but they have seen the cautionary tale of a couple of other guys who may be pushed it a little too soon, too quick. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's exactly what we're talking about here. It's, it's a different game. You know, you can make all your rehab starts, you can do all that, but once you get back to the big leagues, you know, that's where, you know, everything really starts to uh, get going on you again. And, and you want to make sure you're strong enough to handle it. All right. That is going to wrap up episode 13. By the time we record our next episode, uh, we will have the trade deadline in our rearview mirror. We'll assess what the Red Sox have done or maybe what they didn't do, what other teams in the division in the American League have done to make themselves better, how that has reset the pennant race for the final two months. Uh, it's going to be a fascinating next few days and look forward to talking all about it with you, Steve, next week. We'll be here. We'll do it. Thanks for listening. We ask again that you rate and review the show wherever you access your your podcasts and of course let your friends know about the show's existence we thank you for the feedback and we'll talk to you next week thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.